0: Good morning. morning. So last week, I preached a message that was a response to the SCOTUS decision. If you don't know what that is, pull up your phone, type in SCOTUS question mark, and see what comes up. Um, You'll get tons of responses. And uh, so we were going to jump back into our King Series, and so many questions and discussions came up, which I love. So what I decided to do was scrap our King Series for this week, and uh, I want to talk to you about so what? How do we live as Christians in this world? And so here's what I want to do this morning. Um, I want to teach you one skill um, that I think if the majority of followers of Jesus can get this, can learn this, will help us navigate these very weird waters. And here's what I want to teach you how to do. I want to teach you to judge. I want to teach you to judge everybody, all day long, all the time. I want you to be the most judgmental people on the planet. Sound good? Right? So I think if you can navigate this, Right, you're going to understand. Out, don't jump to conclusions. Okay, I'm baiting you. I want you to listen. That's the whole point here. We're going to get into this, so just be patient. Right, um, and so what I really want to do, I want to teach you how to judge and what it means to judge. I don't know if you've noticed, right, but like one of the greatest insults that you can get is the following: You are so judgmental. Right, I mean, it is a cultural insult of the deepest level now, okay? And people are getting really judgy about judging. I mean, this is just a weird circumstance. And so I've heard this a number of times, and a circumstance will come up, and a um, non-religious, non-Christian will look at a Christian and say, you're really judgmental. And here's what I want to say. You know, you were really judgy when you call me judgmental, and your judgmentalness about my judgmentalness created an unsafe environment that really makes me feel like not connected to you. Like I don't really want to hear what you have to say because I feel judged. Like that's something of the sorts about like what I want to say, right? Um, and oftentimes, oftentimes, here's what has happened: the Christian has been asked their opinion on something. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you ask me my opinion on something, and if the Bible states its opinion on that, then what is my opinion? My opinion is the Bible. So I'll say to you, well, here's what the Bible says. I won't be mean or harsh or hateful. And the comment back could still be, you're judgmental. So here's what I want to do. I want to help you judge, judge well, but first got to figure out what does the Bible actually say about judging. Now, um, here's the deal. The Bible commands Christians to judge. Here's just two quick Bible verses. So you don't have the option to not be judgmental. You must be judgmental. John 7 24, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Is Jesus promoting some form of judgment, Answerville Church? Yes. And 1 Corinthians 2 14 and 15, Paul says, The spiritual person, which he identifies as the Christian, the person who's trusted in Jesus, <laughs> judges all things. Okay, by all things, does he mean some things, or does he mean all things, okay? So all things, right, good answer. So the the Christian has the responsibility to judge all things. Now the question in your mind is, okay, Michael, what does it mean to judge? Uh, And I want to give you seven different ways the Bible uses the word. And what I want to challenge you to do is before you throw out the word to a Christian, Know which version of the word you mean and connect it to a Bible verse so that we can better understand what's happening. Christian, right, before you start misusing and misquoting this, understand what the person means when they say it to you. So, seven different definitions. I want to ask you the question, which ones are good, which ones are Bad. Number one, uh, it's used as a noun. It's an Old Testament office. By office we mean like in the United States, we have the president, we have senators, we have governors, those are offices. There was in the Old Testament an office a person called a judge, so like Samson. Number two, one who judges in a court. Number three, as a proper noun, Jesus Christ is the judge. Number four, as a verb, to rule as a judge, okay? Number five, as a verb, to discern using rationale or a standard. I gotta explain this because you gotta catch this, right? There are some things, I'm piggybacking off of last Sunday's sermon, So if you have not heard it, go back and listen to that, but I'll try to explain some stuff here. One of the things that we said last week is that every person has an authority in their life. For the majority of non-religious, non-Christians, their authority is the culture. For the Christian, our authority is the Bible. And when our culture and the Bible conflict, who does the Christian bend the knee to every time? At least should they? Answer is... The Bible, our, our authority. So every time I discern, I discern through the lens of my authority. I'll give you an example. You go into the park, gazebo park in Barlett, and you see a homosexual couple cuddling. You look at them, and what do you discern? Well, it depends on what your authority is. If your authority is culture, and culture says this is good, right, beautiful, and compelling, then that filter will, will change how you see that actual experience. On the other hand, if your authority is the word of God and you believe the, uh, the word of God says that um, homosexual acts are a sin, then what you're going to do is you're going to see that your authority will filter how you experience that event and how will you see that. You will discern two very different things. So you can have five people looking at the same event discerning this event very, very, very differently, okay? And so here's the deal, you have to understand that when we say to judge, we are discerning, we are deciding whether or not it is right, wrong, good, bad, evil, best, worst, and we're doing that based on our filter, which is our authority. And this is why we asked the question last week, what is your final authority? When you decide what you believe about things, what determines that? Culture? or some external source outside of yourself, like the Bible or some kind of religious book or something of the sorts. Number six, adjective, like judgmental, being excessively critical or to be condemning. When most people say you're being judgmental, this is what they're saying. This is what they're saying. Now, you might be doing number five, which is to discern using your standard, which is the word of God. There might not be one condemning or critical part of your heart, but many people, many Christians, act out number five, the verb, and they get called number six, the adjective. Does that make sense? And when you get called the adjective, you're like, no, 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 I'm just discerning, right? But sometimes people's cultures do not permit you to do number five, they they have to see it as number six. So if you're listening to this, I guess pull up the keynote. Number seven, I don't think this is really a word but I'm going to make up a word because I think it catches the spirit of what happens. Judgingly as an adverb, right? Uh, this is describing a negative attitude and expressing one's conclusions or judgments. So I can look at somebody and I can conclude something with a kind attitude or a judgy attitude, right? I can be like, uh, hey, I really like your dress, or Yeah, I really like your dress, right? You get the difference? And so it's the way you do something. And so the adjective adjective describes what you're doing, but number seven, the adverb describes how you're doing it. Now, here's the deal. You've got to understand the Bible uses the word judge in a variety of ways, okay? And so there are some ways that are good and some are bad. So now pull up the next slide. Um, Yellow is good. Like These are good things that you want to do. Number six, when you are exceedingly critical, I can't think of any moment where you're just critical in a negative way that that's ever going to be positive. Some people are just negative Nancy's and they're critical about everything and it's just not a positive thing. Now, I put condemning in green because we're going to get there, but there is one circumstance where a Christian can cast some a verdict of condemnation over somebody, and we're going to get to that, we're going to see that, where there's one specific scenario where the Christian can actually be judgy, okay? They can actually cast a judgment. Now, you may not know what that is, so just wait till the very end, and we'll get there. And number seven, the adverb, Um, just to be a judgingly condemning, like critical human being in the way you live your life. Um, Unfortunately, and I've watched in person, on Facebook, on social media, I've I've navigated dialogues, and I really believe that that Christians are missing how to do this really well. Okay, so I just want to help you. I want to encourage you. And if you don't agree with the Christian stance on this, we love you. You're welcome here. Um, And maybe this is an opportunity for you to not put Christians in a box and call everybody who judge you who doesn't disagree with you but actually listen what does a christian mean when we judge does it sound good all right good so i want you to open up your bibles with me to romans chapter one Um, i need to give you a couple pieces of context two pieces of context and then we're going to get into the actual text that we're going to be studying here i'm going to put the text on the screen for you so you can see um, what's happening we're starting in verse one, and they is a very particular group. Um, they are going to come up in purple regularly because I want you to just know who this group of people are, okay? So we're going to talk about they, and here's point number one in context, okay? Point number one is simply this. There is way, 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 way too much at stake for you to reject Jesus. So right now, I just want to talk to those of you who know Jesus, that you know who he is, you know about the gospel, you know that you're a sinner, you may even have a hunch in your heart um, that he- He is God, he is who he says he is, he died on the cross for your sins. Maybe you're here and you know what the Bible says and you just think Jesus is a joke, you want nothing to do with him. I cannot change your heart, I cannot change your mind, but I just want to look at you with all the love I can and say there's way too much at stake for you to push him away. And at the very least, you can at least know what the Bible says happens when somebody knows about Jesus and they push him away and reject him. So here's what it says. For although they, who's they? We're going to get there knew God, or they knew about God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. So right off the bat, we have this group, the they, okay? And they are people who know about God and reject God. And as you read the rest of the book of Romans, here's who they is. They know the gospel of Jesus Christ, they know it, and they reject Jesus Christ as God. Okay? So if you're here and you have rejected Jesus Christ as God, okay, if you have not come to him and given him your life, if you've not come to him by grace, through faith, not by works, if you have not come to Jesus, okay, you are they. So here's what happens. Um, therefore, God gave them up. Okay, so, for the non-Christian who knows about Jesus and then blatantly rejects him based on the knowledge of who he is, God's promise to you is simply this. Okay, if you don't want me to be your master, I will give you to the master of sin. It's your call. There's not another option. It's not like God says, I'm gonna give you to a neutral third-party option, okay? That's not the way the world works. There are two options. You're either under the lordship of Jesus Christ or you're under the lordship of sin. You will have one master or another. And so God makes available to anybody who will, anybody who wants to come to Jesus, he says come to me, anybody, you can come to me. And if you don't, if you reject him based on who he is, he says okay, I'm going to give you over. I'm going to give you up. Now is that fair? Everybody say yes. If you reject Jesus and he gives you to the other side, that's pretty fair, right? right? So, all right, we'll keep going. just want to let you, this is not a matter of injustice here. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Did God make up impurity and throw them in it? No, the impurity is already there. God offers us redemption and healing, and they said, no, I don't want that. And he says, okay, but the problem is there's impurity in your heart. There's lust in your heart. And you say, I don't want you. I want to do it my way. I don't believe in you. You're a fairy tale, whatever else. And he says, okay, fine. Then I'm going to give you over to the lust of your impurity. I'm just going to give you over, and that will be your master to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now, if you're a non-religious, non-Christian, and you're um, participating in some kind of, we'll just say, extramarital um, sexual affair, like, we call it a non-marital affair, right? you're not going to actually see that probably as bad. Let me clarify my words, because I'm hearing what I'm saying and thinking I'm confused if I'm you. Okay, if you are a non-married man with a non-married woman, and you're in a sexual relationship, the culture generally says, good for you, right? Are we better now? We clear? Okay, good. Uh, Now you're going to look at that and you're not thinking to yourself, I'm dishonoring my body. You actually think to yourself, you're doing something good and right and healthy and exploring your sexual desires. By the way, we're consensual and we're of age, so it's fine. Now the Bible says God gives you over to that, so you start to think what is actually wrong is right and okay. Now, the person who is in this dishonoring of their bodies typically does not think they're dishonoring their bodies. They think they're doing something good and right. And then it goes on and says, why did all this happen? Why did God give them over to this master of sin? Why did God give them over to this lie? Why did God not do this? Well, here's the reason. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. So point of context number one. There is far too much at stake for you to postpone, reject, or put Jesus aside, because his promise to you is that if you do that, I will give you over to this, and sin is a terrible master. That's context number one, so you gotta get that in your brain, point of context number two. The Bible does not pick on homosexuality. We talked about this last week, okay? Um, and so we're going to read this. We're still talking about them, the they, okay? We're going to see them come up in purple here. And uh, you're going to read this. And if you stopped here, you would say, the Bible is so judgy, okay? Um, God is so judgmental. Why does he pick on us? And here's what it says. For this reason, God gave them up. Who is them? Those who have rejected Jesus. to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men with men committing shameless acts, and men with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So now does every single person who rejects Jesus Christ full on immerse themselves into a homosexual lifestyle? Answer is no, you can say no, it's okay, right? So it doesn't stop here. If you just isolate this and you don't keep going, you're going to be like, yeah, the Bible picks on homosexuals. But does the Bible pick on homosexuals? The answer is no. It picks on everybody. Are you looking at porn? It picks on you. Are you lusting? It picks on you. Are you having an extramarital affair? It picks on you. Are you. It picks on everybody. So then it goes on and it says this. Since they, who are they? Those who've rejected Jesus. Did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil and covetedness, coveted, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, I love this one, all of these terrible things and he throws in there, disobedient to parents, maybe we need to rethink how serious God takes that, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Pop quiz, does the Bible pick on homosexuals here? The answer is, No, it picks on everybody. If you're looking at that list and you don't see some kind of root of sin in your heart, let me just tell you, you're self-deceived and you don't understand the gospel very well, okay? Um, If you don't see the root of yourself in some of these things, are you perfectly faithful? Um, Are you never foolish in any way, shape, or form? Have you never disobeyed your parents? Have you never been haughty, insolent, arrogant? Have you never ever conjured up an idea that wasn't pleasing to God? right? If you can't look at this list and see a piece of yourself in it, you're missing something very, very important. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to get to my text. We got some context. We good? Ready? The text is in chapter two, verse one. I hate that somebody, after the Bible was inspired and written, put a chapter break right here, because people stop right here, and then they don't get to the actual exhortation that Paul has for the church, okay? You ready? So, let's blow your minds. Here we go. Five facts to remember when judging. Remember, you are they. Catching it? Remember they, purple they, you are they. Here's what he says, he is talking to Christians now. Therefore, you have no excuse. Oh man, and by the way, women, students, children. You have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges, For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now you're sitting here saying, I have not given myself full over to malice, unrighteousness, disobedience to my parents, homosexuality, lust, fornication, whatever, you name the list of sins. But here's what I want to just like help you understand. The only difference between you and they, is number one, Jesus intervened in your life, right? And you're a little bit farther ahead. Or for some of you, a lot of it because you've been walking with Jesus for a while. But that same root that compels somebody towards deep, deep, we'll say adultery, is the same root that compels you to lust in your mind. And it's called lust, it's that little root of lust. And so when you point your finger over there, you first need to remember, I was them. That was me and it still is me to a degree. That rhymes, that could be like a poem right there, right? Uh, there is still a piece of me in what they're doing. Now everybody's getting a little uncomfortable and I just like, I'm, I'm way better than that. No, you're not. You are they, but just to a different degree, and you're forgiven, so there's no condemnation from God over you in any way, shape, or form. But what does he mean here by judge, okay? Here's what he means. Do not cast a final verdict over someone's life before the true judge Jesus Christ cast the final verdict. Because you don't know the final verdict. You do not know. The final verdict has not been laid out yet. The final verdict is yet to be distributed. And so here's what he's saying. Okay, if you want the final verdict to be laid out on them, here's the deal, then I'm going to enter into your life and prematurely judge you based on the standard with which you judge them. Because if they're guilty for these things, you do the same things and you're guilty for those very things. Now this is awkward if you're in the church in Rome, okay? If you're in the church in Rome, you're probably looking at all of this sexual perversion and perversion of so many different levels going on and you are frustrated, disgusted, you're angry, you don't want your children growing up in this corrupt environment, they're persecuting you, your friends and your family are on the receiving end of more hardships than any Americans in this room can possibly understand. And so Paul enters into You call, like, what we're experiencing between conservatives and liberals on the issue of same-sex marriage vitriol, I mean, this is pure just ugliness going on in this culture. Absolute animosity between, um, we'll call it the cultural elite and Christians, okay? And so Paul enters into this heated environment and says, Christians, Christians, chill out for a moment. I get your anger. I get it. You are discerning truth from error. When you look at their life, you're doing what you should be. You're identifying sin as sin, right? But here's the deal. Once you jump from discerning to condemning, you have made a leap that is inappropriate for you to make. And the reason is is this, because first of all, you're not given the authority to condemn. That is not in your jurisdiction. Do you want to have the authority? Give me an amen, people, right? Do you want to condemn a lot? That's just, it's in our nature, right? But that is not our our responsibility, is to stand over someone in condemnation of their soul. That is God's job, okay? It's a very fine line. Now, I could look at somebody, and it might be true. I might be able to say to you, you, are judged to hell, right? And they may, if they died in that moment, go to hell. But that's still not my responsibility to cast that judgment of condemnation on them. Now, we're going to keep going because some of you are thinking, but, 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 but. You got to just do me a favor. Let me get through the whole sermon, okay? Because I'm going to temper each side of this argument. We're going to go back and forth and I'm going to try to not let you pendulum swing. So number one, remember you were there. Number two, remember God is the one who condemns. Verse two, he says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So who's the judge? God. Who is the condemner? God. So is it your jurisdiction to judge or to condemn, I'm going to give you some clarity here, okay, the non-religious, the non-Christian, the person who does not believe in Jesus Christ, is it in your jurisdiction to be their judge or their condemnation? Answer? So far the answer is no. No. Verse Number three, remember your plank, your speck, or whatever. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So here's the deal, right? You may not totally like what Paul's saying, but what he's trying to do is he's entering into a really judgy Christian community that's thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. He's entering into this community that forgets they are they. Before they were followers of Jesus, forgiven and cleansed and given the Holy Spirit, they were they, okay? And the only reason they became them, the non-Christian became the Christian, if I could use those words, is because God intervened in their life and God rescued them and God saved them. And so when I stand over somebody else with shaming condemnation, I'm forgetting, right? I, I didn't just pick myself up by my bootstraps and get out of this sin. I needed desperately for God to intervene, yank me out of the muck and mire before I drown and bring me out of dry ground. That's what I needed, Okay? I forget, right, that I was in their shoes, and the only difference between me and them is God intervened in my life at the right time, and He saved me. And so Paul's trying to sh- slow people down. Okay, relax, Christians. You don't need to be Jesus in this sense. There's some aspects where you need to be Jesus, but right now, leave the condemnation, leave the shame, leave the name calling, leave the final verdict of condemnation to hell for Jesus. Got it? Okay. So, keeps going. Number four. Remember. God's slowness to execute justice is not mere patience, but loving kindness. He goes on and says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So you look at somebody, you walk in, and you see what your authority tells you is a grotesque, disgusting act, and you immediately discern that this is sin and it's not pleasing to God. And then you ask the question, why doesn't God intervene? Okay, well if God intervened and cast a judgment now, where would that person go? Straight to hell. Or God could wait. And is it hard? Yeah, but every moment God waits is another opportunity he is giving somebody to repent of their sins and come to Jesus Christ. So rather than preemptively getting in front of God, jumping in front of him and saying, condemnation now, I'm going to cast the final verdict on you now, God hasn't even come in and cast the final verdict yet. And the reason he hasn't is because he's waiting. And he's waiting because of his loving kindness. So every single moment, that person in your life, that family member, that friend, that person on TV, whoever it might be that's living in gross immorality, every moment God doesn't intervene in their life right now is another moment of grace where he is saying, giving them another opportunity. And so before you jump to condemnation, here's what i think paul would rather you do is jump to compassion and start praying and pleading that before it's too late god would intervene in their life do you see the difference now we're going to start to unpack why this looks it's going to get a little deeper number five remember you'll be judged by the standard with which you judged i don't totally understand how this works i'll be honest with you but jesus is teaching us a new covenant ethic way of thinking a new law and here's what he says and i want to take this very seriously Uh, Actually, I'll read you Paul's writings and I'll read you Jesus. Paul says in verse five, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So here's what he says. You, you judgy Christians, you condemning, shame-casting, name-calling Christians, here's what you're doing. God will judge you by the standard with which you judge others. And the day of judgment has not come yet. Okay, so you're, you're getting in front of God, you're getting in his way, you're taking upon yourself what is not your responsibility to cast the final verdict over someone's life. And at the end of the day, if you're gonna do that, then I will judge you with the standard with which you have been judged. Now Jesus, I think he says it even better, judge not. Well Jesus, am I supposed to judge or am I not supposed to judge, right? Here's what he's saying, condemn not. Condemn not that you may not be condemned. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And here's what I think the combo of Jesus and Paul do. As we interact with non-Christians, we slow down the condemnation train. We slow down the train that casts fear and shame and all of these things around them with our words. Do you understand that? Because is that our responsibility to cast condemnation and shame on them in that moment? The answer, Village is. No. Who will condemn? Who will put to shame those who've rejected Jesus Christ? His answer is? God will. Jesus will. Right? Are you Jesus? Last time I checked, none of you are. I'm definitely not. Here's what he wants to do. Like, if you think your culture's hard, try being a Christian in first century Rome. And these are the words that Paul enters into this community with. And he says, everybody chill out. Now, I can hear your question. So am I supposed to put up with it? Right? We'll get to some of your questions. Uh, Number two here, I want to take you to another text of scripture that will help train you in how to judge. And it is in 1 Corinthians chapter five, verses nine to 13. And this is the one category of people I may not judge. Ready? The one category. Here's what he says in verse nine. I wrote to you in my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people. So if you stop there, you could step back and say, look, see, I can judge them, I can ostracize them, I can leave them alone, and then Paul clarifies. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So pop quiz, should you be engaging and interacting with sexually immoral swindlers, idolaters, and the greedy who are not Christians? Answer is, shake your heads yes. Yes. Right? Where would Paul get this idea? Um, Probably from Jesus. John 17, 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because you are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Even Jesus was like, they need to be in the world. That's their mission. Get dirty. Get in the world. Get messy. And we get this idea, in the world but not of the world. Engaging the world while not being stained by the world. Now that's a whole other sermon, but he keeps going. He says, but I am, now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, junker, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Okay, we'll keep going. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? By outsiders, what does that mean? Non Christians, not just people who don't go to church, people who don't bear the name, the name of Jesus, okay? What does Paul have with judging outside? His answer is nothing. It's not his job, okay? He says, Is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge? If there's one kind of person, one category that you are not allowed to have condemning judgment toward, it is those who are not Christians. Catch it? Not one ounce of condemnation, right? In your head, your heart, and your hands. Like, condemnation, done. God's job, work on other things. Be busy loving them or figuring out other ways to do that well or talking with them or sharing the gospel with them, but condemnation, get it out of your brain. Don't even eat with such. And then he says this, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Like, are these hefty words? Like, yowzers. So in the American church, it's the same issue they're dealing with in the Roman church, and the issue is simply this. You guys tolerate sin amongst people who name themselves as followers of Jesus way too much. Way, way too much. Like, you, your friend is addicted to porn, not even really feeling bad, he's just shameless about it. They're having sex outside of marriage. He's, you just go on and on and on, and we're just like, yeah, that's a struggle. You know? And there's this idea that we need to be confronting sin and helping people towards repentance as brothers and sisters in Christ. But when it comes to the outside, he's like, yo, everybody just slow down. Okay, so how do I judge? i want to give you a couple tips on how to judge. Number one, condemnation is only love when it is toward a Christian under church discipline. You're like, ah. To condemn means to say you're guilty. Now, I may not condemn them to hell, but I'm condemning a verdict on them and saying you who are living in, in um, habitual, unrepentant sin, Like, we're giving you over. Now, even the word condemnation, is it slippery? Yes, but this is where the church has authority by God to say, okay, right now, as it stands, you're condemned. Okay, you are not, like, this is not going well for you. Like, we can give you no assurance of your salvation. I mean, this is a very bad place to be. You're in living in habitual, belligerent, willing sin. You know it's wrong. I mean, if we're gonna get judgy, this is where I'm gonna get judgy. Now, am I gonna be a jerk? Answer. No, no, no. Please say no. Everybody say no. 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 If you hear I get to be a jerk, you're not hearing me, okay? But we get to cast a verdict and say you're guilty, okay? Brother and sister in Christ, repent of your sin. Now, it's hard because these words have so much culture meaning, but here's what I want to do. I just want to give you a little clarity. By condemning here, I simply mean you're casting a guilty verdict on them and saying you need to repent and you cast them out of the church. I mean, God is really, really clear about this stuff. Number two, compassion over condemnation. So what about when I just hate what they're doing in my presence, into my country, into my culture? Anybody ever experienced that? Like, like I, I hate what's happening. First of all, Jesus and the apostles are pretty clear. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. But before you jump to anger, right, compassion is probably where you need to start and this is the way I think about it. When I'm angry at somebody, I'm not going to pursue them, typically, unless it's out of anger, right? Compassion is like, I feel bad for what they're going through. Compassion leads me to build a bridge towards somebody, right? Anger builds walls against people. And so if I really see somebody who is living a sinful lifestyle, that they've rejected Jesus Christ, given themselves fully over to it, uh, honestly, I don't expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian. I just don't. I don't. I expect them to act like non-Christians. And non-Christians, that God says, God has given them over to the master of sin. So I expect that they're going to do things that are hard and they're going to be difficult. And before I just get so angry at them, um, honestly, I have to remember, Jesus saved me and put me on this planet as a witness to them. They're actually my mission field. Like, I exist to love the people who dishonor God in profound ways and to bring the gospel to them, right? That's why I'm here. And so when somebody acts like a non-Christian, before I get mad, I need to step back and like, man, like, you are going to hell, and you need Jesus Christ. And so before I get all judgy, Compassion needs to well up inside of me, and I think this is part of the issue, is we get angry at non-Christians for acting like non-Christians when the Bible says they're gonna act like non-Christians. It's like, aren't really, really? Instead, I take you to number three, which is hope over expectations. Here's my mantra, I have no expectations and high hopes for what God can do. I have no expectations for those who don't have the Spirit of God to act like I act, think like I think, love what I love, love what God loves, love, I have no expectations. So I am rarely disappointed. I can go out in the world and see crazy things, and very few things surprise me because I have low expectations of people. You know who frustrate me the most are Christians who continually live in habitual sin, knowing what God wants for them, and they have the Holy Spirit of God inside of them to equip them. That frustrates me more than watching non-Christians act like non-Christians. Number four, persecution over retaliation. So what if the sin is against me? Okay, what if it's not just out there? What if their sin is is persecuting me? What if I am hurt and wounded because of what they're doing? What if my family is hurt and wounded? So FYI, when you came to Jesus, you relinquished the right of retaliation. Do you understand that? Drop the mic, walk away, right? You relinquished the right of retaliation to non-Christians. When you came to Jesus, you relinquished the right of retaliation to non-Christians, okay? It's not yours. Your job now, expect this. You walk into the world, and if you at all say what you think about a majority of biblical issues, you will be condemned, ver- verbally persecuted, right? Um, you will be judged by other people. And you know what you should be like? That's what I expected. After all, Jesus warned you, if you're going to be my disciples, this is what's going to happen. Now retaliate. Use your words. Go lambast them on Facebook, right? Is that, is that what he said? Everybody just say, no, that's not what he said, Michael. You're off. You know, right? That's the point, And so the the idea here is that there's there's an American Christian cultural context where we get really, really feisty over political things, right, and we forget that before they're political things, they're spiritual things, and that when they're spiritual things, they're tied to spiritual people who are maybe possibly going to hell, and that there's something more valuable and important than the political things, and that's the soul of the people that we're interacting with. And I have to understand that when I interact with people on these issues, it may not always go well for me. Number five. Authority over culture. So what when our friendship causes me to violate God's word or my conscience? When God's word and the authority of the culture clash, who does the Christian submit to? God's word. What if it means you get in trouble, you lose your tax exemption status? What do we submit to? Bill Church, God's word. So I know this is a little bit backwards because like in our culture we really want to get judgy, we really want to take a stand, right? And here's what I'd say. We're in America, vote, um, do all the stuff that you do as whatever your political persuasion is. You have those freedoms, um, you're able to do that. But when it comes down to you interacting with human beings, here's what you need to remember. Before it's political, it's spiritual. Before it's about our country, it's about their soul. Before it's about winning an argument, it's about winning them to Jesus Christ. And Before it's about anything, you need to remember this. Save up all of your judgment for the Christian who is in belligerent, um, willful, disobedient sin. Save it all up for them. Point it at that person with love, if you can, okay? And Jesus is just counter-American. I don't know how to say it any other way. Um, He just doesn't think like Christians think here. And so for us, you know, you go on Facebook and you lambast a political idea, that's one thing. When you lambast a human, that's another thing. And so this is a distinction that we need to make. So I want to encourage you guys, be judgy. Judge, discern, use your mind according to the standards of God's word. But understand when it comes to condemnation and casting guilty verdicts, compassion over condemnation works every time. And I wish that my angry words and my condemnation could change someone's heart, but by the way, has anyone ever had their heart changed when somebody yelled at them, called them a name, condemned them, and casted fear and shame around them? Anybody? Anybody? I haven't, personally. Um, I'm usually one in a spirit of love. I think it was the Bible that said, um, it's the kindness of God that leads them to repentance. Um, I think the Bible also says, I'm joking, it does say this, but the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness that God desires. So do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Do you want want to win a political argument or do you want to win a soul to heaven? Do you want someone to feel bad and shameful or do you want to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ? And how we go about that um, affects uh, a lot of things. All right, let's pray together. First of all, God, thank you for um, being so good and so righteous. You are the perfect holy judge who discerns all things absolutely perfectly and correctly in all scenarios. Um, Lord, you have given us your word so that we might know your mind and your heart so that we might think like you think and discern everything in this world. Lord, we are to be the most mentally engaged. We are supposed to be discerning thoughts and lies and truth and cultural trends and behavior. But God, you have left condemnation um, to Jesus and he has not come yet to judge the living and the dead and lord every moment that you wait is your mercy and your loving kindness so that more people can come to faith lord as i think about people in my life um, that i want to know you i want to say i am in one part grateful that you have waited a little while longer so that they can know you and there's more opportunity for their eternal destiny destiny to be sealed through faith in jesus But, Lord, I also know my sinful heart and our sinful hearts that, Lord, we want to be the judge. We want to cast condemnation to those who don't know you. God, I pray you would replace our condemnation with compassion. You would replace our hard words with the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel message. And I pray you would just teach us how to do this one conversation at a time. And I thank you, God, that when we mess up and we totally blow this thing, that we can come to you and say, we're sorry. Uh, This is part of what it means to be a Christian, to fumble over ourselves from now until the day we die. So thank you for being so patient and kind and gracious with us. And uh, God, I pray that even just because of this sermon, you would soften our hearts to maybe somebody who we've been angry at that doesn't know you. And so Lord, I pray that you would teach us to grow in compassion. Uh, We love you, we worship you, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen? Amen.